I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin today's show by reporting some of the equally wacky and disturbing information uncovered over the weekend about big Joey the Biden's chosen leader of our Ministry of Truth, far-left millennial Nina Jankovitz. Elon Musk dunked on AOC, which I admit was pretty epic, but he's still a pro-CCP guy who just dealt a major blow to Trump's truth social social media ambitions. And yet, most of the right wing seems to celebrate him 24-7. The White House Correspondents Association annual dinner returned over the weekend, which I didn't watch it, but Joe Biden got mocked a lot. But don't be fooled, though, because Big Joey didn't even remember going, and in fact, he wasn't quite sure where he was at the time. Nancy Pelosi took a delegation of Democrats to Ukraine to meet with Vladimir Zelensky. Was this a genius move or an escalation with regards to Russia? We discuss in the opening, plus much more. Catherine Engelbrecht is our guest today. She is a longtime friend of the show and the founder of True the Vote and is the star of Dinesh D'Souza's 2000 Mules documentary, which is starting to roll out today. Her research is the key to the film, and she deserves a lot of credit. We describe uh, what she found and what you can all do to get involved in uh, today's interview segment. And of course, we have our caller of the day. start with what was the feeding frenzy online to look into this real weirdo, this creepy woman named Nita Jankovitz, who John Nolte has dubbed the dominatrix of disinformation. She is the 33-year-old millennial who will be literally running the Ministry of Truth, the government organization which will determine what is true and what is false, and will seek to punish those who go against the perceived truths. You know, what's interesting about this whole concept right now is simultaneously, we have an era where the truth has replaced my truth. You know, you've heard that expression over the last half decade or so, particularly from people, you know, 40 and younger in your life, that they're trying to live their truth. So truth is on one hand, not objective, but it's also so objective that the U.S. government can confidently declare what is the truth and plan to censor people based on that. So a hor- horrific idea that is literally straight out of Orwell, that a government would have a uh, disinformation governance board, which is literally what it's called. And the same people who've gotten so much wrong. I mean, take Joe Biden, for example, who continues to repeat the lie that, Do- that Donald Trump said they were good people on, um, uh, that the, 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 they were good Nazis at uh, Charlottesville, which he didn't do. Specifically said, not the Nazis. But it doesn't matter, Joe Biden repeated over and over the campaign trail and in fact cited it as his whole rationale for uh, his whole rationale for running for president. Those of you who are unaware of what is I'm talking about, I do recommend you look up a new Joel Pollock's reporting on this or read the book Breaking the News, where I wrote all about it. But over and over again, Biden repeats this lie, and now all of a sudden we're going to have a ministry of truth. Um, I, I want to start with her analyzing the corn pop clip. Let, let's pick all the lies out from the corn pop clip. It's like 14 minutes or so. If you use a full breakdown of that one, then let's then maybe I'll be open-minded to it. Are you all looking forward to when Republicans take over the Ministry of Truth eventually? 
if the Ministry of Truth actually goes, which I, I just, I, I can't imagine they're not gonna cancel this thing. Um, we have to, we, but but if it is not blocked completely, it'll be interesting to see where Republicans focus on because it could be a field day. Um, it's the same administration that is right now putting out that Russia controls all of Americans' gas prices, border secure. The Wuhan virus certainly didn't come from that lab. Viruses don't spread about Black Lives Matter events. John Nolte is a good uh, list of this. All the stuff that the government has put out that is just flat out false. And now they're going to be the ones telling us exactly what's true. I would love to see the Ministry of Truth do a deep dive into the way the administration messaged when we botched the Afghanistan pullout, leading to the death of many people, including children and American service members. But I've got some good news. Alejandro Mayorkas, who is running the Department of Homeland Security, who is in charge of the Ministry of Truth, he says the disinformation board won't infringe on free speech or monitor Americans. Good, that's great. So what's it for then? Nina Jankovic, who says a bunch of insane stuff that I'm gonna mention momentarily, did say in October of 2020, that the government should actually not be in the business of policing speech. So I guess she didn't get the memo that she was going to be getting offered a job to police speech. So was she disinformation? I just want to get her take. How would she analyze this? How would she analyze this as the person in charge of truth for the United States of America? It was she putting out disinformation? All right, so here's some of the stuff that we found over the weekend. It was a feeding frenzy coming up with uh, looking into her past, all the crazy stuff she'd done. Uh, people went way back in time to when she did a song about a sex fantasy with dead Harry Potter. That video is at brightport.com. Yep, she uh, sang a fantasize about Harry Potter dying so that she could guess, have sex with him even though he was a kid. It was just a song though, so we can't take it seriously. Um, she sang a song saying, who do I F to be rich and famous and powerful? And she didn't use the letter F. That's from 2015. So, well, she's going to be famous. And she might be powerful. She's definitely famous. She might be powerful. We'll see. Not sure about rich yet. Maybe one day. Here's one where I, I kind of like it. She sang about boys and girls' bathrooms are creepy. See, is that disinformation though now? So she had some sort of a pair of some sort of a band that's supposed to be funny or something. Uh, one of those bands that you know sing songs, but the lyrics are supposed to crack you up. I mean, she sounds like a riot. Sounds like a really really funny person. Uh, but aside from seeing about dead child sex with Harry Potter, uh, she belted out a tune about how boys and girls' bathrooms are creepy. She also said about the mystery between Harry Potter's legs. This is just a weird person. Like, what is this person doing at the upper echelons of American government? We're such a mediocre country now. Like, well, why, when did we become so mediocre? So, but one thing that is noteworthy, I think, about this is that now will she say that girls in boys' rooms are creepy? Because I think now uh, girls can decide that they're a boy when they're a teenager or when they're 40 or when they're three or whenever they feel like it. So now is it creepy or now is it uh, insensitive for her to say that? I'm wondering how she's going to evaluate that statement. She's lots of bizarre TikToks. I think are meant to be funny. 
But uh, one of them, she calls herself the Mary Poppins of disinformation. I mentioned that on Friday's show. She impersonates her male trolls, or meaning people who criticize probably her absurd statements and TikToks on TikTok. So she does a lot of sort of it's supposed to be funny gender bending. It's just weird on TikTok. And none of this stuff was deleted ahead of this. And here's a good one. She called for Facebook to censor Breitbart. Smoking gun, right? So not only was she a person who promoted the Russian collusion conspiracy theory and denied that the 2020 Hunter Biden laptop was authentic, not only did she herself say that she, the government should not be in the business policing uh, truth and speech to this level and disinformation of this level, she actually said that uh, she repeated the, uh, the utterly bogus lie that Joe Biden, I'm sorry, that uh, Joe Biden, that uh, Breitbart News is a, a racist site and should be censored. Are you surprised by any of that? The power that this could create could be immense. But it also seems like so far-fetched this could actually get going. She said there are many non-binary people who give birth. I would like to fact-check that one. I think there's women who give birth. That's just me. I think women give birth. I think women are the birthing peoples. She says that disinformation is an American pathology. I would recommend she look in the mirror and maybe watch some of her TikToks. All right, speaking of disinformation and fake news, the White House had their Correspondents Association dinner. This is the first one where the president's participated in a long time. I don't think Trump did any of them, which was very smart of him. And it is a horrible thing that takes place in Washington where the current administration, if it's run by Democrats, uh, hang out with comedians and celebrities and they yuck it up with each other and they talk about how great each other are and in they uh, wear black ties meaning that you know everyone dresses up for this event i find it to be a pretty pathetic display and something i've always been pretty judgmental about though there there was a curiosity to it to me uh, over the years but i've gotten i guess i think more cynical on it uh, tr this was the vi most viral clip from Trevor Noah, who is just one of these people that we've just all decided we care very deeply about what he thinks all the time. I can't say I'm in that camp, but he's the host of The Daily Show. Let's play cut 14, please, Haley. Since you've come into office, things are really looking up. You know, gas is up, rent is up, food is up, <laughs> everything. No, it really has been. A tough first year for you, Mr. President. And, and surely you must be a little worried about 2024. You know, there's a lot of passion on the Republican side. There really is. Yeah, it's a good line. I mean, it doesn't, uh, it, I guess I'm not a professional comedian. It doesn't seem like it would take some sort of genius to write that line, but uh, it's, it's a good one. And that one went all over the place, which I guess shows you how even the media has to understand that they're in a tough spot because the media doesn't want that to be true, but it is true. And that's why it's funny. Um, I will commend you to check out our story at Breitbart that I mentioned on Friday about uh, NewsGuard, which is the group that I'm semi-obsessed with that labels uh, companies in their entirety fake news or real news. And they have they label Breitbart 
fake news, even when our stories are 100% accurate. They label the New York Times, for example, Real News and Rolling Stone and BuzzFeed, even when their stories are 100% false. And even we have the exact same story that we've purchased or syndicated from a place like the AP, Breitbart's version is labeled false. New York Times is labeled true. It's an absurd thing. Uh, they've just been rewarded a $750,000 contract with the Department of Defense. So to work on misinformation. This is their buzzword. We need to fight very hard against this. Especially when they're doing stuff like this, it's not just Homeland Security. It's Pentagon cutting deals with NewsGuard, who wants to have Election Guard, by the way. So the next thing NewsGuard wants to do is they want to police our elections. They're already policing our websites and our newsrooms with their establishmentarians, including a guy named Michael Hayden, who's one of the top Russian hoaxers on TV, is on their, uh, their advisory board. I've got a clip of Biden at the Correspondent Association dinner. I'll play it with Dan Gaynor when Dan gets here. Um, okay, any, um, I will solicit any additional thoughts, I guess, for a week out from the announcement that Elon Musk is going to pull off the buying of Twitter. 62% of Americans approve of Musk Twitter buyout. And I'm in that group. I, I definitely approve. I think it's better. Though I was thinking over the weekend about the nature of this, how Musk is pretty much a pro-CCP guy. He's praised China. He's done billions of dollars of deals with China. He's certainly willing to compromise principles like free speech to appease China. And I think it's really put these alternative social media platforms, in particular Trump's Truth Social, in, in trouble. And a lot of people are in denial of this, but remember, Trump was not using Truth Social. He was forced to join it, basically, and now he's he's on it all of a sudden. Um, the stock for the Truth Social parent company is, is not going to do well. If Musk really makes Twitter a somewhat open place, um, it's going to be really devastating for Truth Social as a business, Trump's business. And Trump's supporters are, are celebrating this development, which is pretty unbelievable. So maybe it works out for the best. And as I've said, if you look in a vacuum at Twitter, Twitter is pretty much can't get any worse. Even Facebook and Google could conceivably get worse, which are much more powerful than Twitter, in my opinion. But I don't see how Twitter can get much worse than it already is. And um, so I do think that there's a good chance Musk can't improve it. But it's pretty amazing that we've got a guy who is very tightly tied financially the Chinese announcing he's going to be in charge of free speech on this major platform and he's going to impose free speech. I'm just wondering what's going to happen when China inevitably gets upset with this. And we got to be a little careful about some of the stuff he's tweeting because some of it is really unbelievable. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was railing against him on Twitter and then uh, he told her to stop hitting on him because that was her line when um, one of our guys, I think it was Steve Cortez, was saying something critical of her. And then he, she basically accused him of hitting on her. Just unbelievable. Um, we covered that at the time. But uh, Musk's joke, I mean, it's a great joke. It's really good. It's funnier than the Trevor Noah stuff, than him telling AOC to stop hitting on him. It's good. But then he tweets stuff like he's no fan of the far right. Like, what is his definition of the far right? That's scary to me. Because he's going to have his own ministry of truth just in a private company. And I'm just wondering where his definition of far right is going to kick in. Is it anyone who's critical of his dealings in China? That's what I'm wondering about. 
So yeah, he tells the AOC to stop hitting on me when she rants about a billionaire with an ego problem. Billionaires with ego problems, it's something where I don't like them uh, as much as the next guy, but they are a bit of a reality right now. So we're, we're gonna have to deal with it. We're gonna have to figure out good ways to use those. But everyone is looked at it and conservatives are gaining thousands of followers and the left is losing followers. So a good start. This is a complicated one. I think it's why I'm so interested in it is that I think that it'll probably be better if it goes through, but it will definitely be a new, a new set of challenges just being a different way. A um, couple other things I want to throw out there before we go to the polls. By way of segue, um, France has announced a digital identity app. So Macron wins, and now France is going to have a digital ID for citizens to access private and public services. I'm, I'm spooked by some of this stuff. I'm spooked by a lot of the uh, I, the databases that people put forward. In the U.S., they want gun registry. In the private sector, Elon Musk wants to hook up your brain to a supercomputer that he controls. Uh, I think we got to resist some of this stuff. I think with the high-tech era, we've just gone headlong into it, and we need to think before we commit to all these things. Britain is making voter IDs compulsory, so we're behind Britain now. We now think the voter IDs are racist. Why aren't they racist in Britain? And why isn't this issue uh, forced by Republicans? Why can't Republicans get some currency on this one? We need to get some purchase on this one. Every, all the Republicans should be asking questions about why is Britain consider, why is it not racist for the Brits to have a voter ID, but it is racist for Americans? Because that's the way it's been framed my whole life. Nancy Pelosi went to Ukraine with a secret delegation. Um, my initial reaction to this was uh, probably a smart move politically on her part she meets with Zelensky. Adam Schiff is there, that little pencil neck, and some others. And uh, overall, I think it's probably a good move for them because you get some good, there's uh, some viral photos, a photo of Pelosi walking around Zelensky. Probably something that helps them overall. And um, I, I, however, though, she did say basically that the Ukrainians have a blank check from Americans which I don't dig necessarily. They always take it too far. They always figure out a way to ruin it. She says we will support Ukrainian victory to a point where it seems like she's just offering up a blank check in terms of what we're willing to do. Um, we're training Ukrainian soldiers in Germany, which was a big admission from the Pentagon that had been talked about, but it had not been acknowledged formally. I don't entirely hate it because I know the temptation is to get us all into war and where Americans are going to lose blood and treasure over this uh, territorial dispute in Eastern Europe, which I just don't think we're there yet. So I'm okay with some resources on it. The problem is they just keep ratcheting up. As we pointed out last week's show that it was $13 billion in March. Now it's $31 billion in at the end of April. Pelosi's going over there saying we'll do anything we can, aside from, of course, send troops. But then we're just not that far away from sending, okay, now we have boots on the ground. It's time to take out Putin. Uh, and I just think we need to be very cautious because, remember, Putin is nuclear power. And that's probably why, at Breitbart, we decided to highlight Noam Chomsky over the weekend, far-left radical, uh, MIT professor, crediting 
Donald Trump for being one of the few prominent statesmen in the West actively pushing for peace, he says, and opposing war with Russia. He has a, a pretty big statement where he does say he regards Trump as dangerous. He was just a caveat like that. He can't just say, got this one right. But uh, he's got a pretty big statement in that you can read Breitbart.com, but uh, the essence of it is that uh, Trump's the one pushing peace. It's a pretty amazing reset. I spoke to some prominent conservatives who were not pro-Trump, but are definitely conservatives who work at a media outlet that you're all familiar with. And um, we were all talking about, about this exact topic, about what a reset it's been, how the right used to be just going headlong into wars whenever possible. And now we're even more cautious than the left on it. And I think that's a big development. And Trump solidified it. I think that was one of those things that was... Uh, a, a lot of people on the tip of their brain, but it didn't become part of their ideology until Trump said, hey, we're not doing that. We're not going to go into every war anymore. Those days are over. Jill Biden is now going to follow Nancy Pelosi on a solo diplomatic mission to Eastern Europe. That to me seems like, all right, now, now, now it seems a little obvious. They're just trying to get some headlines. Keep the focus on the gas prices uh, off and the focus on rising energy costs off, by inflation numbers. We did hit stagflation, as I noted on Friday show. Pretty awesome, pretty awesome. Most Americans say uh, high prices force them to change eating habits. Yeah, no kidding. Which Americans didn't? I mean, did all of you eat exactly the same as you did before the inflation kicked in? Massive uh, food inflation, farm prices up 31%, eggs, meat, vegetables, chicken, dairy, corn, wheat, all of them soaring. I mean, good for you if you don't have to react to this at all. A real personal income fell in March. That's seven out of the last eight months that's happened. So that's why Jill Biden's going to Ukraine. Come up with something to talk about. We're getting close to an election here. Also, a lot of talk of Biden's cognitive decline, which is true. But again, I mean, well, what's going to happen? Let's take him out and then uh, uh, let's take him out uh, legally and then put in Kamala Harris. A few more quick ones. I'll probably touch on some of these with uh, Dan Gaynor, but I'm compelled to bring them up. Uh, Netflix has asked, 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 asked a series with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. So they're rethinking it. Their subscribers are fleeing. And, you know, Disney has got Star Wars and Marvel and Netflix has got Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Yeah, I get it. Streamers shutting down two more kids animated series for Netflix. So, I mean, good for them for trying to make changes, at least. They're dealing with it. A lot of people don't uh, admit when their company's going down the wrong path, but they are. And so they're blowing out some people who are not bringing in the ratings for them. Uh, and here's a fun one that you'll enjoy. There's been a big backlash over ads featuring a Megan Rapinoe for Subway sandwiches. Subway does this thing when they hire all these woke people to put in their ads. This is the thing, guys. We all got to monitor this. And I know this because I'm one of these people. As millennials who work very hard and were indoctrinated into America's failing school systems, start coming of age, getting into middle and even upper management. A lot of them live in bubbles and they're going to think, you know, it's a really good idea. You know, who could really sell some sandwiches. 
that super woke lady with purple hair who hates this country. Apparently not true. Last one, and this one is personal. I can't resist it. I was promised my whole life while I was living in California that we would be getting a, uh, a high-speed rail both from L.A. to San Francisco and from L.A. to Vegas. And this is one where I, uh, by the time Obama was talking about this high-speed rail, it was already such a joke. I, I remember laughing maniacally when he would talk about this, knowing that it would never get done. And that was, you know, 2009, 2010, stuff like that. Um, now we're in April 2022, and California's long-delayed and partially canceled high-speed rail project has revealed some welcome news. Joel Pollock writes for us at Breitbart over the weekend. They have constructed a 90-mile stretch from San Jose to the rural town of Merced in Central Valley. How many of you had planned that big trip from San Jose to Merced? It's exciting, right? That's, uh, uh, I I would like to know what constituency that services. I think it's going to be pretty small. Should I welcome that after 30 years of promises, we finally got 90 miles going from uh, a far left, super expensive San Jose, which is Silicon Valley adjacent, to uh, a, a town called Merced, which I know has a state university. And other than that, I don't know anything that's there. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing. Probably not. So Catherine Engelbrecht is a very significant American, and we had her on the show pretty much every day in the run-up to the 2020 election because we were deeply concerned that election meddling and interference was going to take place. Now, a lot of our focus was on cheat by mail. It was on these community organizers who were going to round up ballots of people who otherwise wouldn't have voted or really maybe shouldn't legally be voting anyway. It's hard to know. And because we don't have a photo ID or really any significant checks to our voting system in general, we also talked about information and disinformation online, not the type of stuff that you might hear about from Joe Biden's Ministry of Truth, but the stuff that you might hear about by those who are skeptical about the control that, I don't know, Twitter, Facebook, and Google have over our discourse at this time. So we talked about all that stuff a day in and day out on the broadcast, and lo and behold, many of those exact tactics were used used to swing the election towards Joe Biden. And there's much more evidence that has been uncovered that is in the movie 2000 Mules, which is Dinesh D'Souza's new documentary, which is rolling out in various places in various ways this week. You can go to 2000mules.com to check out the latest. But we get into the, the nitty gritty, the hardcore, what Catherine and True the Vote learned by using really sophisticated methods to try to find fraud. Again, it's hard to prove this stuff literally in a court of law, but if you here to describe it. We know what it looks like. So let's get into it. Catherine Engelbrecht. Catherine, great to have you back. It's been too long. And I want to get to some big picture stuff. But first of all, the key portion of 2000 Mules, the most important stuff in it, um, you know, and Dinesh is typically compelling storyteller, but the, the most important stuff is the information from True the Vote about these geo-tracking that was done to reveal that there are individuals who were driving from ballot box to ballot box and then stopping at what are presumably stash houses of something. And they're doing this in the dead of night. And we don't know exactly what they're doing, but we know that it doesn't look good. And uh, only an idiot would not suspect that it's 
you know, stuffing our ballots with uh, illegal votes. Um, what do we know and what are the open questions, Catherine? Uh, well, what we what we know is, I mean, you just did a brilliant job of laying it out. Uh, the, the, the cell phone patterns, the device patterns uh, indicate uh, that, in fact, people were uh, going on routes to drop boxes. And this is this data that we use, geospatial data, is the same kind of data that law enforcement uses every day, all day to solve crimes. So so the, just on the face of the geospatial data alone, there are investigatory expectations, because as you point out, the the, the only rational conclusion one can draw based on people going to far less nonprofits and then directly to drop boxes day after day over and over oftentimes most times in the dead of night that that a, a logical thinking person would see that as a problem and should be something that should be looked at what we what we have been able to uh, add to that though uh, in its in select areas um, George is a great example, is the video, the video surveillance, yeah, and that's something that's shown in the movie, because, you know, it would have been a needle in the haystack to find uh, without the benefit of the geospatial data, but because we knew of the uh, timestamps uh, on the, 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 the drops based upon their devices, then we could uh, thread that through to the video and compare. And, um, and so that's, again, what you see in the movie. Um, you know, what, what we don't know is uh, we want to know more. Let me say it that way. We want to know more about the money, the following of the money, because we know that yeah. people were paid, or at least we've been told they, they were paid. Um, we, we want to know more about... Um, how and how all of the ways we know many of the ways but all of the ways that those ballots um, arrived at those organizations um so there's a lot of there's a lot of investigation left to be done that said we first presented this starting with georgia uh, a year ago this month and at, at the time really thought that they would jump in and the kinds of investigations the broad scale State level investigations would well be underway by now, but it's 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 been anything but that. It's been um, it's it's been confounding um, that that feels more along the lines of a cover up than it does uh, a, a willingness to really review the video. Frankly, that should they should have been looking at all along. Yeah, some of the things in the video clearly show people depositing multiple ballots at once. Um, there's one that becomes a centerpiece of a section of the documentary where a person walks um, past a trash can that's tucked in behind a wall. The person never looks at the trash can and then after depositing some ballots, turns right to the trash can, throws something out, indicating the person had been there multiple times and was very familiar with the location and knew there's a trash can there, even though they hadn't even looked at it. It was very creepy and weird. And is, what other anomalies did you see in the footage? And then what do you think they represent? Um, oh, great question. So, you know, when you see, we have 5 million minutes of video and 
And I'll tell you, it's a challenge to even when you think about what's, what you saw on the screen and in the movie, you know, finding video that will hold as you enlarge it and so forth. I mean, all of those things were considerations into what ultimately made the cut because there's so much video. But um, the gloves was a, was a theme. And, and it was a theme among a certain set um, of mules, and they wore the surgical gloves to deposit the ballots, and then after they had, had you know, done what they were there to do, they would, they would peel the gloves off. Um, we saw uh, another sort of um, trend in taking photos of the drop boxes and taking photos of themselves dropping the ballots into the drop box. So these weren't like standing there taking a selfie, hey, I'm voting, cheese. It was, this is how I'm getting paid. This is how many, drop, this is how many ballots I'm, I'm going to drop. This is the drop box I'm at. And, um, you know, what other reason uh, does someone have of, of filming themselves or just filming a drop box after they've dropped multiple ballots in? Um, and it corroborates with what we were told by informants. So there's, you know, there's all manner of, of uh, issues that should be looked at. Um, and, you know, and we, we're hoping that 2,000 Mules uh, will be uh, the beginning of peeling back these layers, what really happened in 2020, and getting a handle on it. Because if not, we're, there, I mean, it's going to be the same thing in 2022. So then let's cut to this point because what is the process to start investigating some of these things not in terms of a conservative audience we watch it we get fired up but it's a in terms of actually implementing change here because you are identifying that is clear cheating it's a whether or not you can you know prove it all in a court of law uh, whether or not it is something that will is going to lead to arrest. I mean, I, I hope it does, but it's a, but we do know regardless of what you're able to demonstrate in a court or something, it, it's very clear that there's a certain level of cheating going on. So then how do we right. stop it? And that's the hardest question. Well, so every state has different processes for this. And, and in, you know, in Georgia, that process, we started it with the, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations and uh, Governor Kemp's team, and that went nowhere. Um, ultimately, we ended up back at the Secretary of State's office, and that process going back through the State Board of Elections and the AG, and then back. I mean, it just the processes alone are, are you know just drag on and on and on. But but there are processes. So so that's the process in Georgia, and there are investigations underway. Um, in Wisconsin, we are working directly with local law enforcement, and that's very encouraging because they're, they're moving much more quickly. Um, Pennsylvania, we've made a presentation to the legislature. They're, they're moving that forward. Um, Arizona, clearly, there's, I mean, there have already been indictments, um, and, and they're, you know, they're doing a very widespread uh, review of, and, and, and it's systemic in, in Arizona. So, Things are moving forward. However, the biggest impact we can have is the impact that, that the American people can, can bring to bear by, by seeing what's going on and then taking action by showing up at the polls, showing up and, and engaging observation changes things, you know, bringing this out and exposing it, making it transparent, um, re- refuting this notion that, that, you know, that the lie 
is that there was fraud. It's quite the opposite. The lie was that there was no fraud. There was there was any number of ways that those laws that were newly instituted in 2020 were twisted. And those drop boxes was just one. Yeah, this is something, Catherine, you and I talked about virtually every day in the run-up to the election when you were on uh, so many times on the show, which I really appreciate all that time that you gave the audience, that the default, you have to assume there is fraud. And we have to be vigilant against every bit of it because there's always people trying to cheat. And the nature of the Electoral College system is that there are scenarios where very few, uh, a handful of votes in some key areas can make the difference. And we need to start with that premise. And people are starting with the premise now that it is, and Dinesh does a good job compiling this in the movie, of them just flat out stating without any uh, facts whatsoever to back it up that this is, um, that it was the, the best, the most free and fair election that's ever happened in the history of mankind, right. which is just such an absurdity on its face, of course. But it's the, it's, if Joe Biden lost, of course, this would have never been the way it was discussed in the public. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we saw this coming into 2020 when when laws were being changed, processes were being changed, when necessary checks and balances were being removed. And then you saw the, you know, one, two, three setup of of voter rolls that weren't being claimed. And then those same voter rolls with a a margin of error in the the 20, 25 percent range, then those rolls, and I'm talking about nationwide, it's, it's a massive problem then those roles, of course, in many states were, were uh, the basis for a mass mail send out of ballots that went to active and inactive voters, not in every state, but in some. And there were always, I mean, there was always, as we all remember, that push for mail ballots. And then these privately funded, uh, new, new, newly appearing drop boxes with very little regulation. So you take dirty voter rolls, mass mail out of ballots, and unregulated drop boxes with surveillance video that we can prove nobody was looking at. And what do you get? So the, so the idea that, that then corporate media uh, writ large came forward and said, There's, this is the most secure election ever, and that just was their re- repeated mantra. The, someone with, with common sense has to look at that and, and, and put themselves in a state of sort of the willing suspension of belief because you know it's not that. You know what media is telling you must not be accurate, but you can't get your arms around exactly how. So we hope that this movie is one big piece to this puzzle. There are others, uh, others that we have yet to, uh, to release. More to come from A True the Vote. But beyond everything, what the takeaway needs to be is America needs to wake up. Our process is truly in peril, and we, as citizens and as voters, must engage. And that engagement has the, has the possibility of restoring integrity faster than, than, than prosecutions, faster than investigations, because eyes on changes things. Catherine Engelbrecht is the founder of True the Vote, truthevote.org, 2000mules.com for the 2000 Mules documentary, which people are going to start to see today. And Catherine, the star is noted, but her research is really the the star. Uh, in, in particular, her and Greg Phillips coming up with some really blockbuster stuff that you're going to see 
in the film, um, and I think will be talked about quite a bit. Uh, Catherine, is there anything that didn't make the final cut that you think is really important to share with the audience? Because again, the film's designed to be really accessible and entertaining and bring in a lot of different factors, but in terms of your research at True the Vote, you really think you want out there. Is there anything? Um, you know, there's. you can only put in so much video. You can only focus in on certain aspects of of the of the process for so long it's just just you know that's that is what it is however uh our antidote to the some of the some of the limitations um is what one of the things that we're going to be doing um here in the coming weeks or months uh hopefully shorter than than not but we're we're going to pull the ripcord and make everything that we have public all the geospatial data data all the video um let America see it for themselves. And that way, there's no question about what else there was, um, because there's a lot. And you can slice and dice it any number of ways. We found certain patterns. Uh, we are confident that when we put this out there to uh, America, new patterns will emerge, new questions uh, and new answers will come out of this. And um, you know, that's, our next, that's our next big push, and uh, we think it's going to continue to shift this narrative uh, around what was really going on in the 2020 election and open a lot of eyes and change a lot of minds. Who do you hope sees this movie, either an individual or a group of people? Or is there any people you really want to get through to at this point? Yeah, every everybody that around the, the dinner table, that across the backyard fence, that in their places of work, uh, that, that, you know, in... in rubbing shoulders day to day with people that, that they found themselves in arguments with, that they couldn't explain. Well, it, something was wrong, but we don't know what. Use this movie as a, as a teachable moment. Send them a copy and say, what do you think about this? Because it is immutable. The, the same data that is used to solve crimes is what Greg Phillips and his team used to put this together. You cannot look away. You cannot look at the, the, the footage and not come away saying, wait, what the, what was going on? And that's an important conversation. Yeah, that is an important conversation. And I think that that is the bare minimum that we need to get out there, that things are not uh, what we're being told. Uh, one other thing that you and I talked about and we could see coming, I think, a mile away in the, in the run-up to the election was that we were focusing on things that were probably not the places where most of the cheating was going to take place. And that really seemed to escalate, um, particularly after January the 6th, but but even in the run-up to after the election and the run-up towards that sort of horrible series of events, however overblown it was with the media. But there's a, still, to this day, a lot of discussion of you know vote machines, flipping votes, and not nearly enough discussion of, I think, some of the manipulation by the big tech overlords controlling the information we see, and of course what you cover, which is a massive networks of quote-unquote community organizers, community organizing the vote. Uh, it's the it, Having the benefit of a couple of years to think about, or close to a couple of years, a year and a half, Catherine, um, are, are you still on, the, on that page with me? What do you think are really the key vulnerabilities right now? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely on the same page. It's a, you know, look, this is a thousand front war, and it has been being waged against America uh, and largely going unnoticed decade upon decade. 
inch by inch by inch, our process has been eroded to the point that we find ourselves at now. And and so, you know, the, the biggest problems, look, the, the gateway to fraud are dirty voter rolls. You start out with a bad yeah. data set, you're going to end up with, with bad data on the other side. So getting rolls cleaned up is imperative. Uh, and there's certainly, you know, the, this, this is not a, uh, a huge stretch to figure out how to get rolls accurate. It's just a matter of political will. Um, are machines problematic? Are there are there breakdowns inside of the um, electronic aspect of this? Look, at, I mean, every you know, all machines uh, can be hacked. All machines, you know, can be made vulnerable. But one of the beautiful things about what, the way American elections work is that they're incredibly decentralized. It kind of cuts both ways. But that does make it very difficult for for the types of um, machine frauds uh, at a, at a at scale uh, to occur uniformly because there's so much disparity in the local processes. Um, but are there vulnerabilities along that way? Absolutely, yes. And something you mentioned, you know just a few minutes ago and it is so spot on you don't need a whole lot of fraud you just need a little fraud in the right places and our process is so inherently insecure now that that those places can be generated uh in 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 a variety of ways starts with the dirty voter rolls and um and, and look there's we it's a mess there's a there's a there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I can't stress it enough, and I've seen it for the last 12 years with True to Vote. The one thing that the bad guys uh, that would stand against the types of things that we are talking about this morning and, and, and against the notion of, of correcting them, um, the one thing they never expect is that America is going to stand up and care enough to say, you know, no more. We're not going to take what the corporate media tells us. We're going we're to get involved and see it with our own eyes. And, um, and True the Vote offers those kinds of programs to help people see what's really going on, see what's going on in your local voter rolls. And once you see it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's right there. But you, have to, but you have to open up your eyes and look at it. And I pray that America does. Catherine Engelbrecht, very important person, truthevote.org. You could also check out 20. I'm sorry, 2000mules.com for the movie. Uh, Catherine, if, last question. If people want to get involved, uh, what do you recommend they do? If people are chomping at the bit to try to be a, a, a force for good here in this audience, uh, what can they do? What can a normal person do to get involved? Uh, we would we would say first just go to truthevote.org and connect. Um, we have been very quiet for a very long time. Uh, that is all about to change. We have um, web apps right now that people can use to check their local voter rolls. We have new programs that we're going to be rolling out in the days ahead. Um, but short of that, if 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 you know if pick up the phone and call your local election administrator. And if you don't even know where to start, call City Hall and say, hey, I just want to be involved in elections. What, where, where can I call? Start that journey. Take that step and educate yourself about what the process looks like. Do I need to do it? Because every state, every county has slightly different rules. So learn your process. Learn how to get plugged in. Are you going to get plugged in for your county, your candidate, 
to a party of your choice. How do you find your way in? We will be here to help you, but ultimately the process requires um, that you keep your foot on the gas and keep pushing because it's, it's been neglected for so long that it's not going to know how to respond uh, efficiently. So don't lose patience. Stay the course. Keep driving to put yourself in a place where you can be involved. And I'm telling you, it will change everything if we step back onto the field and say, no more. It's, it's fair and honest elections from here on out, and we're going to be here to make sure that happens. Good stuff, Kathleen O'Rack. Really appreciate it, and come back soon. Thanks so much. the day today is Glenn in Texas. We got into an interesting discussion of a new high-speed rail project out in California. Now, as a native Californian, the high-speed rail was something that was always promised to us and no one ever delivered on it. And every major administration out in California, even President Barack Obama, was very adamant there'd be high-speed rails going all over the state and into Nevada and Las Vegas, and uh, there's nothing. And there hasn't been anything, and who knows if there will be. Well, apparently there's going to be some. Some, there is a 90-mile corridor, I think, that has been approved between San Jose, which is just about the most expensive place in the country, at least if you're a renter, in Merced, which is a small farming community in the corridor between Sacramento and Los Angeles, just north of Fresno. It seems very bizarre, and we're trying to figure out why this was chosen and what it could mean. Glenn had a good analysis. Let's hear him. He's our caller of the day. I believe I know why they want to go to uh, Merced. Okay. When you look at the map, uh, that is the 99 corridor, which goes from L.A. to Sacramento. So I believe that would be the first link. Why not just go L.A. to Sacramento? I mean, why are we going San Jose, which is nowhere near Sacramento, to Merced, which I think is between L.A. and Sacramento? I look this it up. Is. It is, but, you know, they've wasted so much money on that already. They've got to show something. So you're saying it could be a hedge that they're thinking they've already wasted so much money. They got to do something. Maybe this is oh, 90 absolutely. miles. They're not going to disturb people. They're going to be able to get permits for this because it's not that much. Um, they probably uh, have the right of way already. And I'm, and I'm thinking it's, it's the only way once they, uh, they, they put the shovel in the dirt and they've got something there. They're going to say, Hey, look, we got to finish now. Also, if you look at the way the freeways work in California, they're very grid-like, and they're, if there weren't so many people on them, they'd actually be pretty convenient, and all the roads are... The roads there are really horrible. I'm driving up... I drove up the 99 recently, driving from the L.A. area up to Victor Davis Hansen's place in Fresno, and it was it was not, not good. Um, but there is, even though I think um, uh, San Jose and... Um, Merced are, are pretty uh, uh, they're, they're I don't think there's a good route to get there. I think you have to take a really circuitous route by the freeways but well, you don't think there's some sort of corruption here? You don't think that if I send a few journalists oh, to oh, look I, into I, this, I, I, you're going to figure out yeah. someone's brother is involved or there was some money oh. that was squandered and they need to make up for it with this dinky hey, little route? See, there's, let's see who bought up the right of way. <laughs> and, and let's also consider this. 
it's probably going to be the next bedroom community, depending on how fast that train can get them to San Jose. Then they're going to have all these little uh, electric cars sitting at the train station for them to go to their jobs. I wonder also, um, as the crow flies, San Jose to Merced is pretty close, but I, I don't know if it's close enough to do, if it's really fast, I'm wondering if San Jose, you know, is the most expensive place to rent in, in America. It might be the most expensive area in America at this point period because it is where a lot of Silicon Valley is kind of uh, expanding into that area. Uh, and I'm wondering if this could be a way to get cheap labor out there um, and maybe there's a train, but it still, still seems too far. It still seems pretty far to be able to do that. Well, I'm trying to figure uh, out. There's some math know, here that we haven't quite figured out. You know, Alec, I lived out there 13, 14 years ago, moved to Texas. I saw things going that bad. Yeah. But I but I but I can tell you that I would go from San Jose to Livermore to work in the robot factory and the traffic was horrendous. Yeah. So I I, I don't think a train trip is gonna be that difficult for those people. I really don't. And they probably have affordable real estate in Merced. Well, the, well, this is the point I'm making, is that if the high-speed rail can go 200 miles an hour, let's say, and let's say it's as the crow flies 75 miles from Merced to um, San Jose, that you could conceivably create this as a new town to provide the cheap labor for San Jose, which is becoming unsustainably unaffordable. Again, we don't talk about this because there's the press in... Uh, California is almost entirely propaganda a propaganda arm for the establishment Democrats who run the state. So they're all one and the same. But San Jose, it's crazy what's happening there. It's more expensive to rent in San Jose now than it is to rent in New York City. And so, uh, which also probably says a little bit about New York these days. But if you've got, you could put people on high-speed rail and they could be in Merced in 20 minutes. Like maybe that's the plan here. Maybe that's what this is all about. I, I think so. I got American parts. Thanks so much to Robert Marlowe for helping me pick topics. Producers Haley and Greg Eben make the show happen and sound so good. And thanks to all of you for sharing our content all over the social web and with friends and family members via word of mouth. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.